Amen. I am not going to have the words of the psalm up on the screen today, and so I'd encourage you to open your Bibles, find Psalm 23 on your devices. Some of you are like, I've had this memorized for years. Bring it on. That's just fine. <laughs> psalm 23 was written by King David, who has written more of our psalms than anyone else. He's written 73 of the 150 psalms that we have. And before he was King David, he was Shepherd David who tended his father's sheep for years. And he draws upon that firsthand experience in order to write this psalm about a shepherd and his sheep. And as he is working through this psalm, he declares that there is a shepherd. And who is it that's the shepherd? First two words, the Lord. That's right. Now look in your Bibles. Do you see how all four letters of the word Lord are capitalized? Right? What does that mean? That's right. That means it's the covenant name of God. It's Yahweh, isn't it? And so it's not the generic Hebrew term for Lord. It's the covenant name of God, the, the personal God who's given us his personal name with whom we can have a personal relationship. David says, that's the shepherd. Yes. And if the Lord is the shepherd, what does that make us? Right? We're the sheep. Now, over the course of my life, for most of the years, I didn't know enough about sheep to be properly insulted by that. But then I did some reading by shepherds, did some reading, different veterinarians, and I found out that sheep are regularly described with three words, all of which start with the letter D. Right? Can you guess what any of those words are that start with the letter D that describe sheep? Dumb. Oh, I've heard a, I heard a few of them. Absolutely. Dumb. Sheep are dumb animals. You ever seen sheep performing in the circus? Right? You ever seen them counting out the answer to math problems with their hoof or jumping through hoops or rolling over on command? Sheep are not smart animals. But I also heard from somewhere out here, they're dirty. You, you've seen a dog or a cat clean itself at some point? Maybe you wish you hadn't seen that, but you have seen that. Other animals will wade into a river or stream in order to get clean. Sheep don't have that kind of cleaning mechanism. And with all that wool, they are among the dirtiest animals there are. And so they are more prone to skin diseases, scabies, parasites, worms than many other animals. But they're not only dumb, they're not only dirty. What's the third D, do you suppose? They are defenseless. Yes, that's right, they're defenseless. When the predator comes at the wolf, how does it, or comes at the sheep, the wolf, comes at the sheep, how do they defend itself? They don't, they don't have fangs or talons or a stinger. All they have is, <laughs> like that's it, that's their defense. And as David, someone who has spent years as a shepherd, is thinking about the proper relationship, the proper metaphor between himself and God, he thinks back to those years of trying to lead those dumb, dirty, defenseless sheep, and he says, yep, that's the picture. I'm a sheep. And I don't know about you, but there are more days than not when I recognize my sheep-likeness. I recognize that my, my thoughts aren't always holy. There's words that come out of my mouth that I wish I could get back. M my actions are selfish instead of loving or righteous. 
As I look at my life, I recognize, yes, I am a dumb, dirty, defenseless sheep when it comes to the comparison with the standard that God has given to me. And I am in desperate need of a shepherd. Anyone else? David says, it's the Lord who is my shepherd. I want you to note, he doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. Go ahead, choose your shepherd, whichever one you feel like. No, he says, he doesn't even say that the Lord is the shepherd, although that's true, that he is the one true shepherd that can lead us to God. Instead, he says, the Lord is what? My shepherd. This is significant. The difference between the shepherd and my shepherd is enormous. It's a difference of authority and submission. It's a difference of authority and submission. My son runs track at his college, and he has a coach. And you know what he calls his coach? Coach. Or sometimes, sir. And when the coach says, I want you to go and run a mile to warm up, do you know what he does? He runs a mile to warm up. And when coach says, I want you to go and hit the weight room, do you know what he does? He goes to the weight room and he does whatever workout the coach has prescribed for him. I have a very different relationship with that coach. Do you know what I call him? Scott. And if I happen to be at practice and he says, everybody go and warm up and run a mile, do you know what I do? I sit. That's right. Maybe I point and laugh a little bit. And if he were to walk over to me and say, Matt, why don't you run with him? Then I would laugh heartily at the idea of me trying to keep up with them. And I'd laugh because I'd assume he's joking. Why is there this difference between my son's relationship with the coach and my relationship? Because while I acknowledge that when it comes to that team, he is the coach, he is not my coach. It's a difference of authority and submission. And for us, that difference is an enormous difference. It's the difference between uh, believing that Jesus died and rose again and actually being his disciple. Is he just acknowledged in your life as the Lord or has he actually personally become my Lord so that he has all authority in your daily life and so that you are following after the shepherd with all that you have? But before we move on with this psalm, I just want to ask each person in here to consider your relationship to the shepherd. Is he just the Lord? Yep, I acknowledge it somewhere up here. Or has he actually become my Lord? Full authority, full submission to him. The rest of the psalm is filled with promises and blessings that the shepherd gives to the sheep when they can rightly declare He's my shepherd. Anybody want to hear some of those blessings that the sheep receive from the shepherd? I'm going to give you seven blessings if you're writing these down. The first blessing that the shepherd confers upon the sheep is contentment. The Lord is my shepherd, so I shall not want. Before Jesus, there is this soul want that we have. We were made for relationship with God, and we don't have that relationship And the world offers all kinds of things that we can try and fill our soul with. More stuff, more comfort, more success. And people run after all of these things to try and reach a place of contentment and fulfillment. But for the person who finds relationship with the living God, 
who enters into his flock and can say, he's my shepherd. There is a soul contentment so that there is no longer a want for those things. So that we can declare with the psalmist in Psalm 73, a different psalmist, right? What does the earth have that I desire besides you? It has nothing I desire besides you, right? Nothing I desire besides you. Or we can declare with Paul in Philippians chapter 3, everything else is what? Rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so when the Lord becomes our shepherd, there is this deep soul contentment, and we stop with the want and the longing for the things of this world. What a blessing that is, that fulfillment, that contentment that the shepherd brings into our life. But that's only the first blessing. The second verse has the second blessing. What is it? It's God's provision for his sheep. Verse 2 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Now just think about that image for a minute. Those green pastures, those still waters. Right? What words come into your mind as you think about that imagery? Yeah, beauty, peace. Absolutely. Doesn't it seem like the kind of image where you just want to sit in a rowboat with a bobber in the water? And look around at all of the beauty and rest around you. Well, well, let me add to that, that this is a psalm written about sheep. What are green pastures and still waters to the sheep? The ultimate buffet, right? The ultimate buffet and retreat center is what we're talking about here for the sheep. It's great provision. And David, as a shepherd understands that there is cost to the shepherd in order for there to be provision for the sheep. As you're going around the Middle East, right, green pastures are not everywhere you look. And so the shepherd has to search high and low in order to find green pastures. And then, in order to not get in trouble, the shepherd has to rent those pastures or sometimes even buy those pastures at great cost in order to use them for his sheep. Then he has to work the land in order to make sure it remains green pasture, even bringing in irrigation at times. Still waters aren't a lot easier. Israel is not known as the land of 10,000 lakes. Most of the water in Israel is moving as rivers or streams. And, and did we mention earlier that sheep are dumb? What shepherds tell us is that if you bring sheep to moving water, they'll wander down into the water to drink and they don't know when to stop and they'll literally keep going in to the point where they are swept away in the river and die. So it's imperative that they have still water to drink from. The shepherd creates those still waters out of streams at great cost. How does he do it? By digging trenches. By taking large rocks and creating dams so that there are pools of still water that the sheep can come and drink from. It's back-breaking labor for the shepherd. But the provision of the sheep comes at cost to the shepherd. And isn't that a reminder for us? Right? The ultimate provision that God has made for his sheep has come at great cost to the shepherd. He is the good shepherd, and what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. And he has paid in order to take our sins and our punishment upon himself so that we might be a part of his flock and experience the ultimate provision. What a blessing! 
What a blessing we see in verse 2. But the blessings are not done. Well, the next verse outlines the next blessing, that he restores our soul. Where do I get that point that he restores our soul from? From the line that says, he restores my soul. Right? Do you see how I dug in deep to get this nugget for you? He restores my soul. We love restoration, don't we? How, how, many, how many television shows are there now dedicated to the restoration of old homes? How many channels have been created dedicated to the restoration of old homes? It's beautiful to see a fully restored 55 Chevy or 58 Corvette. We love that idea of something that is beat up or dilapidated becoming new. And we are told here God is in the soul restoration business. We saw in our study in Romans, our souls because of sin are what? They're broken down. They're not what they're intended to be. They were intended to be filled with love, joy, contentment, and peace. But because of sin, we experience something very different from that. But our God, through the work of Jesus Christ, is in the business of restoring our souls. He does that by leading us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I want you to notice in that verse that God's name is exalted and glorified when we walk along the things that are right. And so he is dedicated to it because he's lifted up when we live along those right paths. Now I want you to notice that it says he leads me in paths of righteousness. It does not say he leads me in paths of comfort. There are many days I wish it said he leads me in paths of comfort. Right? Anyone else? Paths of uh, more comfortable health, more comfortable finances, more comfortable relationships. There are times I wish that it said that. But as we saw in our study in Romans, that's not what God is dedicated to. He has dedicated you, dedicated to you becoming in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He's dedicated to you walking in the paths of righteousness. And some of the greatest growth that has taken place in my life, and I'm guessing in yours, in those paths of righteousness, has come through the most challenging and hard and difficult times in our life when we have to cling to him. I want you to think about this distinction between leading in the paths of righteousness versus leading in the paths of comfort when it comes to how we pray. What is the majority of our prayer life dedicated to? Is our prayer life mostly dedicated to people's circumstances improving and becoming more rosy? Or is our prayer life primarily dedicated to people knowing God more deeply and growing more like Him in character? When we think about the prayers that Jesus has given to act as models for us in Matthew 6, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, etc. Those prayers are all about God's name going forward, us knowing him more, and our character becoming more like Jesus. That's God's design for us as a prayer. That's to be the bulk of our prayers. Now, I'm not saying we should never pray about circumstances. Please don't hear me say that. But the bulk of our prayer life should be about our character. I was uh, listening to a song this last week as I was driving into church. And the song is this woman singing about the way that she is praying for other people in her life in Jesus' name. And as she is walking through this, 
everything she prays for other people is about circumstantial improvement. Everything. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for circumstantial improvement, but when every prayer is about circumstantial improvement, are we really praying in Jesus' name? If Jesus has given us models for praying that are this much about character and this much about circumstances, and our prayers are this much about circumstances and this much about character, we're not praying in Jesus' name. Because to pray in Jesus' name doesn't mean to simply use the word Jesus as if it is a magic word like abracadabra that will bring better luck to somebody else's life. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray according to his desires, his will, and the patterns that he has given to us. And God's great desire for us is our character. That we would grow more like the person of Jesus. That we would walk in the paths of what? Righteousness. What a blessing that we don't have to find these paths. He leads us in them. You, you don't have to figure out the paths of righteousness. Just follow the shepherd. The shepherd will lead you in the paths of righteousness. What a blessing that is. But we're not done with our blessings. Because not only does he restore our soul and lead us in paths of righteousness, he also, for those who are his sheep, overcomes the fear of death in them. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You are with me. Those who have Yahweh as their shepherd don't face death as a concrete reality, but as a shadow which they pass through only to arrive in the place that God has intended for them to be all along. Only for them to arrive in his ultimate goodness and in his presence. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can face death without fear because it's just a shadow for you. I'm reminded of a story of a pastor from decades ago named Donald Barnhouse. And Barnhouse's wife died at a fairly young age, leaving him with three elementary-aged kids to raise on his own. And he tells the story of driving home from his wife's funeral and knowing that he should say something to his kids, that he should have some sort of words of comfort. His entire life and ministry had been about speaking words of comfort in situations like this, and yet he said, I had nothing, absolutely nothing. As they were driving along, they pulled up to a stop sign, and an 18-wheeler drove by. And as that 18-wheeler drove by, the shadow of the 18-wheeler went over their car. And Barnos turned around, and he asked his kids, Kids, would you have rather have been run over by that 18-wheeler or simply had the shadow of that 18-wheeler pass over us as it did? The kids looked at him like, What are you talking about? So he asked him again, would you rather have been run over by that 18-wheeler or run over by its shadow? And the eldest finally said, well, of course by the shadow because that doesn't do any harm. Barnhouse said to his kids, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was run over by the truck of sin and punishment so that this week your mom was only run over by its shadow. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that is all you will face is the shadow of death as you enter into ultimate life. We need not fear because we're told he is with us. Even in those moments, he is with us. Maybe we should say especially in those moments. 
We lost a, a dear friend uh, and member of our congregation this week named Tom Panic. And as I was spending time with Tom last week, he said to me, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm going to go and be with Jesus. He had full confidence, as he had only a few days left, the Lord is with me. And even as I make this transition, he will be with me every step of the way as he takes me by, his hand, by my hand and leads me into the presence of Almighty God. He is with us. And so as followers of Jesus, we don't have that fear of death. We don't have any fear of punishment that comes after death because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. But that isn't the end of the blessings either. Because we also experience the comfort and protection that comes from being with the shepherd. We're told in the second half of this verse that his what? His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Uh, those Hebrew words translated rod and staff are technical terms for the two implements that a shepherd would carry with them. What was the rod? The rod was like a club. We might think of it as like a baseball bat, two to three feet long. And it was to protect the sheep from outside enemies. Outside enemies would come and attack the flock. And what would the shepherd use in order to get rid of them? That rod. And in that way, the shepherd protects you as his sheep. We have a great enemy, the Bible says. He is a roaring lion that seeks to devour us. He seeks specifically to tempt us into sin, into living without faith, into doubt, into hopelessness. But there is protection for us when we are with the shepherd. You ever, you ever prayed for protection for someone close to you in your life? Maybe a kid, a grandkid, a spouse, a friend? Part of what we understand here and throughout Scripture is Protection is ours. Spiritual protection is ours if we will stay close to the shepherd. If you wander away from the shepherd, there's no protection there. But there is all protection if we stay close to the shepherd. Right? His, his rod protects us. It comforts us. Not only that, but he has a staff. Right? What's a staff? It's that long, narrow stick with the crook on the end. Looks like a giant candy cane. Mmm, yum. And how does he use that staff? The shepherd uses the staff to gently guide the sheep back to himself and to the flock as they wander. Right? He takes the crook of that staff and he puts it around their neck. And as they are wandering away, he gently leads them back to where they need to be. And your shepherd does the same thing in your life. As you sit with your Bible open... And the Holy Spirit gently speaks to you from its pages about where you need to be in your relationship with the Lord, about maybe areas where you've wandered away from Him and from the path, and He gently brings you back. Or as you're laying in your bed at night in the dark, and the Spirit speaks to you about things of, of sin and temptation in your life, and gently guides you back to the shepherd and to the right path. Now, there are times when there are sheep who are stubborn, right? Do we have any of those in here? 
And no matter how many times the shepherd gently guides them back, they wander away again immediately and further than they went before. In those situations, the shepherd will take drastic action. And he will intentionally break the leg of that sheep or lamb that continues to wander. Now, if we think of a lamb primarily as a cute and cuddly pet, that may seem cruel to us. But what the shepherd understands as he leads these sheep from location to location throughout the wilderness is the greatest threat to the sheep is what? Wandering. If they wander from the shepherd, it's not a matter of if they will die, it's a matter of when they will die. And so for the good of the sheep, the shepherd breaks the leg of that lamb, and then we are told that the shepherd picks up that lamb and carries it everywhere the flock goes so that that lamb will get used to being near the shepherd and won't wander again. Sometimes the Lord does this in our lives. When we are prone to wander, when, when we continue down the wrong path for extended periods of time, sometimes the Lord brings more challenging and, and hard discipline into our lives in order to bring us back to himself and to the right path. And so we ask, are there any ways that the shepherd is protecting us even from ourselves right now? Any ways that we need to respond, to come back to him, to come back to the path that he would have us on? The Lord protects us and comforts us. His rod and his staff, they do the trick. As we enter into verse 5, we see just this verse about general blessings that the shepherd pours out. We read, He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. The, the table, the, the buffet is prepared for the sheep even as the wolves come around but they won't dare come against the sheep because the shepherd stands there in the presence and they enjoy the buffet. The anointing with oil took place throughout the Old Testament in order to indicate something set aside for special purpose. Maybe a person, maybe an object, maybe even an animal set aside for special purpose. This was a blessing, a unique blessing. And of course, the, the picture of the cup overflowing, not just full, right, but overflowing is a constant picture of blessing within the Scripture. And as we read this, our hearts cry out, Amen, you have blessed us. Our, our cups are overflowing with your blessing, God. Do we always feel like that? No, because sometimes while God calls us to measure our blessings with an eternal perspective, with all that he has done for us in our salvation and throughout eternity, sometimes we become prisoners of the moment and we measure our blessings only by what is going on right now. I'm healthy today, I'm blessed. I'm sick tomorrow, I'm not. I can pay all my bills easily today, I'm blessed. I'm struggling to pay my bills tomorrow, I'm not. I ate steak for lunch today, I'm blessed. I ate hot dogs tomorrow, I'm not. Right? We, we get so immediate in our vision that we go, I don't know if I'm blessed. And God is constantly calling us back to that broader eternal perspective to say, are you kidding me? Look at all you have as a part of my flock. Look at the eternal blessings that are yours, an inheritance that will never perish Never spoil, never fade, that is kept in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1.4. It overwhelms anything and everything in our life because he blesses us. And of course, what is the greatest blessing? 
the fact that we get to be with the shepherd forever is the greatest blessing. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you recognize God's goodness and mercy following you? The word can mean pursuing or even hounding. There are times we might think, but you don't know the sin in my life, but his mercy is greater than your sin if you are his sheep. It's hounding you. It's pursuing you. It's like your shadow. You can't get rid of it. You ever tried to get rid of your shadow? Anybody watch Peter Pan and at some point try and get rid of their shadow? Right? By, by running really fast or running into walls or whatever it took. Right? You can't do that, right? It's right here. It's right here. It's right here. Like I can't get rid of it. And in that, that's the same sense in verse 6. Right? The, the shadow of God's goodness and mercy, it is constantly with you. And I recognize that all of my experiences of the goodness of God are his mercy. Because I don't deserve any of them. So good, so merciful. And of course, the primary expression of his goodness is that we get to be with him. We get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever with God and all that is good. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. What hope there is in that. Just take a moment and glance back through Psalm 23 with me, would you? The whole thing. And look at what the shepherd brings into the life of of his sheep. He brings contentment. Ultimate provision. Restoration of your soul. Leading in the right paths. Overcoming the fear of death. Comfort in his presence. Protection from enemies. Overflowing blessings. Forever goodness in his presence. It's a pretty good list, right? Isn't that a pretty good list of blessings that the shepherd brings for his sheep? And every bit of that is dependent upon that first clause. Can you say the Lord is my shepherd. None of these blessings are for those who simply think of the Lord as a shepherd. Not even for those who think of the Lord as the shepherd. These blessings are for those who personally are following after him where he is their shepherd. Is the Lord your shepherd? If God's Spirit is working in your life this morning and you're saying, I I think I may have thought of Jesus as a shepherd. I might even have acknowledged him as the shepherd. But he needs to be my shepherd. Let me just encourage you to write that on this Connect card. Just write my shepherd somewhere on here. If you want to know what that means for him to become your personal shepherd, to follow after him with your life.